Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and today we're going to talk about love. And two that are joining me to talk about love, Neil, welcome back from the wild north there. It's great to be here. And Jaron up in the, you're almost complimentally weathered to him being on top of the mountain there. So, I mean, you're both like great winter northern men now, aren't you? So. Yeah, I wish we'd have gotten a little bit more snow this time around, but. I feel the same way up here most times. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you get enough up there? Don't you get enough, Neil? No, the weatherman always overshoots it. That's what it was like here this morning waking up. Yep, it was very disappointing. It was much like Tennessee's announcement on their head coach uh, this week. (laughs) Very underwhelmed. Expectations were way overshot, and we were all underwhelmed by (laughs) what was actually presented. So. Sad part is the underwhelming with this snowstorms over today. The part with Tennessee football that yeah. has a long time to go. We were underwhelmed and unimpressed. So, Very much so. Yeah, it was almost. It wasn't even enough snow to even get to even call snow. You know what I mean? So anyway. Yeah, we right, actually well, got uh, more snow here today than what we got last night. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's flaked all day. It's been kind of that weird, slow Narnia movie snow, you know what I'm talking about? That's what we've had here today. So anyway. All right. Well, the Bible says that God is love. And we as ministers of the gospel are oftentimes sharing and we are sharing with people that God loves them. But are we talking about the same thing? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you begin to realize that what you're talking about and what they're talking about may be two separate and completely different things. I experienced this when I lived up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky and Indiana, when we would talk about, you know, University of Tennessee practices, I would be talking about football, but they would be talking about basketball, but many of the language was very similar. And so in a similar regard here, do we have, when we're sharing in our culture today, differences in defining what it is that we mean when we hear or when people say God loves you like what do you think an average person in our culture is actually hearing I think that most in our culture today hear that or think of that uh, phrase and automatically began to tie in what the culture has influenced us to think love is and to play that into God's role of loving us. And that means for many today, love is accepting one as how they are and wanting to to celebrate all the good that can be seen and found and to dismiss anything that might be less than uh, good. Uh, Whereas you know, of course, the Bible speaks very clearly that God's love is uh, directed towards us and meets us where we are, but it is always with the the desire to transform us so that we might be more conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I think that's a very good point. People are getting their 
messages and definitions of love from short videos on Facebook or TikTok, or they're getting them from films uh, and what love is truly meant to be from different movies. And um, I'm just going to say, I hate Hallmark movies. I absolutely, I loathe them. I mean, people, some people, they just want to watch them. It's the same storyline every time. It's just circumstances are quite, are a little different and they just try to make a cutesy title for it, but you know how it's going to end. And the hallmark definition of love probably is in sharp contrast to even a biblical definition. Do you think that's fair to say? Oh, I, I definitely think so. And I, and I, I, for my part, I'm always surprised at how many people like those hallmark movies. You, you'll have conversations and hear about people who are watching them or, or just watching one blows my mind people watch those and yet they keep making them they, they they must be watched by somebody but 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 certainly because in one sense the funny thing about love is is i don't know that that anyone offers you a great definition of what it is but one of the big things that i feel like i hear on a regular basis is love is love and and so that's to affirm all types of love that, that who are we to tell somebody what they're experiencing is not love um so so don't define love don't limit love um, but but we should let anyone define love however they want. So so yeah, I, I think that that's sort of what we get with a statement like love is love. And in a Hallmark movie, um, you know, there's going to be a great deal of sentimentality. And and they're, they're going to want to define love in particular as, as, as this romantic expression of a man and a woman. And, and, and usually I think they involve rescuing people. Am I right in that in the Hallmark movies and, and, and then changing somebody's life, giving them hope? So, well, somebody's about it, to lose their, you know, candy store or their baked goods store or whatever. And, and so, to go along with that, I think Hallmark and culture in general, uh, not only defining this love as love type thing, but I think it also, uh, it has become that love is, is a feeling. I think if that was a definition that culture might put on love, it's just that love is this, this feel good, ooey gooey type thing that makes you, uh, tingle or you know the hair on the back of your neck stand up the where you just the warmth of it the kind of picture but love is so much more than a feeling yeah and i think we're going to see as we we talk more about the biblical definition of love and what the bible shows love to be it's important that we understand that that could be in sharp contrast with what many people think love truly is if love is simply boiled down to a feeling, what happens when the feeling doesn't feel like loving, right? Whenever it's not there, uh, that creates problems in marriage, creates problems in commitment to church, creates problems in commitment even to one's own children, right? Uh, there may be times you're tired and you just don't feel like being sacrificial. So I think there's a lot of things there. Now, let's just kind of go back and, and let's do this. I I remember as a youth in back in the nineties, hearing, uh, hearing conference speakers talk about the three types of love that are in the Bible. Right. You remember this? Did y'all hear this as well? When you were growing up, what did they say? Can you remember the three they said? Agape and the phileo and, and the eros, right? Eros. Yeah, actually yes. eros. I don't think Eros is even in the New Testament, is it? So I think it's one that's not even found there. 
Um, eros, you know, the word we get erotic from, meaning uh, passionate. There's a sexual connotation to that one. And then I remember hearing when I was in the youth department, now agape, now that's a special kind of love that's just between God and human beings. Is that true to say and fair to say? That's where D.A. Carson in his book, Exegetical Fallacies, uh, brings out his point there on how that has so often been the driving force, uh, but is not really accurate uh, when it's taught that way. Yeah, definitely not. So it turns out whenever they were translating the Hebrew into Greek, in the Old Testament, there was an incident between Tamar and her uh, half-brother. And if you will read it in the Greek, it actually says that he agape loved her. And that's when he, you know, raped her. So you cannot define agape without the context of the verse around it. Uh, so agape just is, it's very similar to English where we have to have love defined. I might say that I love tacos and I might also say I love my wife. Well, obviously there's a distinction there between level and commitment. Although I'm very committed to tacos, not nearly as committed to them as I am my wife. Right. So thanks for clarifying. I just wanted to make that 100% clear. And then uh, same with the phileo. I don't think that, that it has any distinction. It must have context around it. Right, Neil? Yes. Yes. I mean, context is king. I believe that's what I always heard from Dr. Stein when we were in hermeneutics together. Must see where it falls and what it's in relationship to. Yeah. All right. Uh, what are some what are some hurdles that you'll find whenever you're trying to talk to somebody, say, in, a, in an evangelism setting on um, sharing with them that God loves them? What are some common responses that we hear now in our culture? I think, you know, with this in evangelism context, you start building that bridge of connection with someone to let them and reinforcing this idea that God loves them. Then what the thing that automatically comes along with that in people's minds is, well, if God loves me, and I think they believe that, I think they, most people willingly accept and agree to that premises. Even if they, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will say, yeah, I know God loves me. Uh, but with that comes then, I think, uh, from the get-go in their understanding or many people's understanding is, well, if God loves me, then there's nothing about me uh, that is unlovable and there's nothing about me that needs to change and that there is certainly no such thing as what the Bible defines as sin that would have me separated from this God if God really loves me. Neil, would you agree with that, that that's an issue in sharing the gospel with folks? Because I think really, even though we're in different contexts, you know, they get hallmarked movies in Wisconsin, just like we do here in the Appalachian Mountains. The, the technology of media has made it the, the way the culture can shape the mind very similar in both contexts. Yeah, and I would say the only other thing I've experienced, and, and I can think of one case in my life specifically where I experienced, and one other case in reading a book about uh, – the evangelist Nikki Cruz. I do think there is a segment of our population of, of the world in general that, that does not feel that they are worthy of the love of God. And so for instance, I, I had a had a guy that I, I'm working with that that his mind was blown when he heard about the love of God that it is not based on his performance, uh, but is freely offered 
through the gift of his son. And, and, and he was a guy that came out of a home where he was not loved well by his father. His father's love seemed conditional. His father's love seemed able to be taken away if he did the wrong thing. Um, and so for this guy in particular, uh, when, when he heard about a love of God that, that could be offered, that was promised and committed to him, um, it, it, it really shook him. And, and like I say, Nikki Cruz, the evangelist, who was a gang member in the 50s or 60s in New York, it was actually hearing Bruce Wilkerson, not Bruce Wilkerson, David Wilkerson, I think, who wrote The Cross and the Switchblade, preaching on the streets of New York. And, well, we're coming back after some technical difficulties, and Travis gave me a general idea of what I was saying, but I have no idea specifically where we, where we left off. But, but the point I was making out of The Cross and the Switchblade was just this, that, that there are people who, because of oftentimes, I think, they're experiencing of not ever knowing a, a healthy love that in some way reflects the love of the God who made us. Um, it does seem um, unbelievable to them that God may love them. So yeah, we get the extreme of those who, who obviously are loved. Well, we were joking ahead of our recording about, about all of us who got trophies every time we did anything on an athletic field, um, positive or otherwise. But, uh, but then there's others of us, right, who, who maybe have not experienced any kind of love and affirmation and, and, and are living with the burden of being unlovable. And, and there's not many people in between who know how to distinguish the types of love or, or ways in which God may love us, you know, like I said, in relation to maybe your wife and tacos. Correct. Uh, <laughs> at one point here, I want to go ahead and recommend a book for those that may be desiring to, uh, read more on being clear on this doctrine of the love of God. And that's by an evangelical free theologian, actually. So one, one plan for hey, representing, and that is a DA Carson's book, the difficult doctrine of the love of God. And uh, he teaches up at uh, Trinity, right, Neil? That's uh, yes. He, he's up at Trinity in Deerfield, Illinois, but he is Canadian, but we shouldn't hold that against him. And one of my, one, we had a really solid Canadian at Southern seminary there too, uh, Dr. Wellam. So Yes, uh, yes. They they produce some good ones uh, on occasion there and been known for that. Anyway, in his book, he highlights a study that was done on the preaching of the prodigal son. And that's found, of course, in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And this particular author that he studied, Marsha Witten, surveyed the beginning here and just kind of looking at Protestant pulpits and what was coming out and highlighting this doctrine. And it says, let us admit the limitations of her study. He goes here and says, uh, of course, it's just the USA that she's doing her work in. She surveyed Presbyterian Church USA, which by the way, D.A. Carson said they are so far left that you have to get a pair of, uh, um, Oh, what are those things called? So you can see far away. Shoot, I can't. Binoculars. Binoculars. Thank you. Got to get a pair of binoculars to even see them on the field. And then the Southern Baptist, which he said a few things about Southern Baptist that I won't repeat, but you know, it was somewhat generous. You know, you got to remember he's an intellectual type. Uh, anyway. They don't uh, even know what binoculars are apparently. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> so, um, it says here, striking on many of the critical issues, there was only one marginal statistical difference between the two, uh, heritages and and I would argue that PCUSA churches and Southern Baptist churches are very different theologically. I mean, they're one's very liberal and has departed from the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, and one holds to inerrancy and infallibility. And yet, when it comes to interpreting the prodigal son, what's coming out of the pulpit at both churches, she finds very similar. Uh, should we be alarmed at something like that? 
Yes, and, and I, I wish, I mean, I remember reading that part uh, just recently in that book, and I, it left me wondering more of, of what she had to say in, in her finding, what, how that was found. But, but certainly, we, we should be disturbed um, by how, how we talk about the love of God. But, but I'd love to hear more, maybe you guys know a little bit more about, about how they were similar and how, the, yeah, how they could have been different. Let me, let me I'll, I'll add the clarity here. A more significant limitation, what I'm reading here from DA, more significant limitation was that the sermon she studied all focused on the parable of the prodigal son. This is bound to slant sermons in a certain direction. And she, he goes on to say, nonetheless, her book abounds in lengthy quotations from these sermons. And they are, um, and DA says they're immensely troubling. There's a powerful tendency to present God through characterizations of his inner states with an emphasis on his emotions, which closely resemble those of human beings. God is more likely to feel than to act, to think than to say. Or as she said it here in her report and finding, and I, this is kind of hard to read. Like I'm not a big fan of how she writes here, but um, I'm quoting her in her study. The relatively weak notion of God's fearsome capabilities regarding judgment is underscored by an almost complete lack of, of, of discourteous construction of anxiety around one's uh, future state. As we have already seen, the sermons dramatize feelings of anxiety for listeners over many other this-worldly aspects of their removal from God whether they are discussing in the vocabulary of sin or in other formulations. But even when directly referring to the unconverted, only two sermons press on fear of God's judgment by depicting anxiety over salvation. And each text does this only uh, as it makes the point indirectly on its way to other issues while buffeting the audience from negative feelings. She goes on to point out, the transcendence, majesty, awesome God of Luther and Calvin, whose image informed early Protestant visions of the relationship between human beings and the divine, has undergone a softening of demeanor through the American experience of Protestantism. With only minor exceptions, many of the sermons depict a God whose behavior is regularly patterned and predictable. He is portrayed in terms of the uh, consistency of his behavior, of the formity of his actions to the singular rule of love. So I hope that brings the clarity that you're, let's discuss this for just a minute here. Some things that stick out to me that she highlights here is she says the following, many of the sermons depict a God whose behavior is regular, pattern, or predictable. Has the doctrine of the love of God in American pulpits, since these very liberal pulpits and these very conservative pulpits sound almost identical. Has the gospel and the God who is in control of the whole universe been softened? Oh, for sure. I, I think that is a tendency that has become very widespread. Uh, and it is, I think again, it goes back to this idea of wanting to define love as or to understand love is simply nothing more than a feeling. And we want to take our shortcomings and our misunderstandings of what love is and then try to portray that into a definition of what it means that God loves us. And it, it leaves us not only far from the truth of what the love of God is, but it also leaves us wanting to go easy on ourselves and, and easy on those who are listening so that we are 
uh, oftentimes way out of balance when it comes to seeking comfort and leaving behind uh, the fact that love also will bring conviction, conviction when it is spoken, uh, when the truth is spoken in love. I think that a softening and a misunderstanding of the doctrine of the love of God has also affected the eroding or has caused the eroding of church discipline in the local body. Why would that be a direct impact on church discipline in the body? Well, I, I think if we understand the love of God as being a love that accepts us as we are with, with no exception, um, nor does he respond in holiness or in wrath towards our sinfulness, then, then we are going to begin to reflect that in the way we treat one another. If we do not take sin seriously, we're not going to be serious in addressing the sin that we see in our brothers and sisters' lives. And eventually we're going to lose the category of sin altogether. And so, so yeah, as, as we weaken um, our understanding of, of and in one sense, I mean, one of the things I thought of, and I guess if I could throw a question back at you, and I, I pulled up that quote that he quoted from, but but are there not ways in which God's character and love is somewhat regular pattern and predictable based on the unchanging nature of his character? So so is it is it, I guess in one sense, is it not fair for us to rest in who God is and 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 recognize that his love for us is more secure? Than, than even the way we love each other. So, so is there any part of God's character that we can rest in because it's predictable? Um, fair question or, or terrible question? I think that's a fair question. Um, I think we're going to have to get into a discussion though here of um, God's sovereignty and God's nature in order to, in order to answer it. Because then the question becomes, what is the love of God regulated by? And, uh, and that's where we're going to have to answer that with the sovereignty. You know, I, I think the problem with people's misunderstanding of the love of God is that it is not regulated and taken in conjunction with the other attributes of God, like the holiness of God or the uh, sovereignty of God. And so if you don't have any kind of framework on God, say, holiness, you know, his distinction, his purity, and uh, really what we would all as theologians point to and say is the beauty of Christ, isn't it? And then God is that he is holy. Uh, no other beings really have the unique holiness that he has. I think that the angels in heaven reflect that as the moon reflects the, the light of the sun, and yet he is holy still and set apart still from the angels in heaven. Uh, and so when we think about the love of God, I think we need to be remembering that it must be taken in context and framed with God's holiness and then his sovereignty, right? I know that there are some that listen that may not, you know, I don't like it when that preacher talks about that sovereignty stuff or that election stuff, but I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> you know, these are word, these are Bible words. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, God says what? I have chosen you, Israel, why? Because they were the best-looking people and the most numerous of all the ancient people in the Middle East? That's not why he said. Why did he say? He said it because he chose them. It brought him the most glory, which in one sense, I guess, aggravates us, the legalist in us, because we want to be able to do for God, to deserve some of this grace and mercy that we're given. But the biblical reality is, just like is quoted in Romans 9, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. And this was before they were even born. 
And, you know, he has set his affection on that. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're going to begin to ask, well, are there going to be some people that want to love God that God does not love? And the answer to that is, I don't Tennessee think Tennessee so. fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say Alabama fans can't we can't we be in unison on who we're going to hate on come on as an Auburn fan can't we be in unity there you know with you know when Matthew's on here we we pick on Florida you know what I mean that's who we anyway but uh I don't know maybe Tennessee should just hold the program up for a few years like ETSU did just just pack it up you know what I mean just <laughs> anyway but uh, but yeah, so I, I think that uh, that question is is got to got to touch on those other things. Yes. I, I think there's no way to be clear. And I know in a pulpit, you know, we're I'm a believer in the short sermon. I know that some of you might disagree with me on here on this, but I, I aim for 25 minutes, 30 is a max. You know what I mean when I'm preaching. And it's that's hard. a good introduction. Yeah, it's it's going to be hard to you know address all three of those attributes of god in one sermon uh but there should at least be a cliff note somewhere you know what i mean so anyway and i think you know to wrap all the way back around to uh neil's question there that we've been discussing so in a sense yeah Neil, i think you're right there is the the nature of god and the love of god that there is a sense of predictability and then i would say in the same sense as travis was talking about the holiness of god the justice of god uh, those things, there's also that sense of predictability because we know that God is faithful. We know that he is unchanging. We know uh, that he uh, perfect in all of his ways. And so there's, there's never any adding to. And so is there, there's that sense of predictability and trusting in the faithfulness and the enduring uh, qualities of God in all those ways. But then there's also this understanding going to the sovereignty now of knowing that God's ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are, are not our thoughts, that, that he is infinitely above and beyond in, in all things. And so we, I think sometimes we take that idea of predictability and think that we can figure out all the answers and in taking a certain amount of information can predict how everything else should flow from that. And there is a sense of being able to say, yes, we can have a, a, a sure and certain reliance on this is what it means that God loves us. And on this is what it means that God is holy. And this is what it means that God is just, and that he is going to act according to these things. Uh, but also understanding that we don't have a comprehensive grasp on his infinite uh, uh, wonder and beauty uh, because we are finite in, in our understandings. And he is certainly so much uh, more beyond anything that we could ever fully grasp. Uh, and in wanting to seek out and know, I guess, the details of all of his ways. We must paint a picture of a big God regularly in the pulpit, of a big God that is regulated, yes, but he is regulated by his own self and not our own limitations. That's that's a great way to put it. Uh, another thing that Carson points out in reaction to this, and I like this a lot, he talks about postmodernism. And I'm not going to, this is not an episode on postmodernism, so I'm not going to go into it. But just a quick definition. Uh, modernism is the age that uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien lived through. Modernism is still largely informed and shaped by a Judeo-Christian worldview. Postmodernism is not, and that's really, I would argue, where we live now. Postmodernism is is you can kind of have whatever reality you want. 
a postmodernism worldview, I believe, is part of the reason that we're seeing people trying to define gender in terms of more than male and female, because you can just be whatever you want to be. Um, and he goes on to say here, postmodernism play into uh, the problem which we are dealing with here on the doctrine of love of God. He says this, because of remarkable shifts in the West epistemology, that's just a study of how truth is known, epistemology. It's a big old $10 theology word, but this means the study of how we know truth. More and more people believe that the only heresy left is the view that there is such a thing as heresy. They hold that all religions are fundamentally the same and that therefore it is not only rude, but profoundly ignorant and old fashioned to try to win someone to your beliefs since implicitly that is an announcing that your, their belief system is inferior. Uh, so, you know, when that, that creates a hard, <laughs> that makes evangelism harder now in many ways, you know, cause I remember years ago when they had evangelism explosion, you know, Neil, you probably remember that, don't you? The James down in Florida. And they, they, you know, you memorize the questions. You remember some of the questions, Neil? Like, Oh yeah. To die right now. Do you remember that one? And God said, why would I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Yeah. And most people in a modern frame of mind that worked on, but if you ask people that now in a postmodern frame of mind, what's their answer going to be? What heaven? Which God? Yeah. They're going to yes. ask you another question. Yes. <laughs> you know, sure. and so like the way we're, we're talking about doing evangelism and being evangelistic with these folks and in a similar fashion here, that's why, you know, that's, that's the main point. You know, a lot of the tools we have on evangelism are geared for the modernist age and the way that love is talked about, you know, is even geared for a more modernist perspective and worldview, but we have found ourselves in the mountains and in Wisconsin and from coast to coast in a postmodern world where people are asking, what God are you talking about? And uh, what, you know, what kind of love are you just, are you, def of course this, you know, whatever, if they even believe in God, of course he loves me. You know, there's, there is a intrinsic self value that comes from this, created worldview all right well i i don't know if you can believe this or not we're actually out of time on this episode hey <laughs> so any closing thoughts before we land the plane here though well I, I was just gonna say i think so often we have to we have to own the fact that that we have been our our idea of love our definition of love has been informed by these other sources and so we have to go to the word where it says god is love and then i'll let our next question be now now god through your word define for us what love is so that we have an understanding of love shaped by the one who is love rather than bringing our definition to him and attempting to shape him with it yeah and i would i would add you know and uh, i know travis you already referenced the book by d.a carson i think that we are as pastors gonna have to do the hard work of understanding this doctrine of the fact that god is love but how that speaks uh, today and what it means to understand that God is love today so that we can wrestle with what is true and combat the false understandings that have so pervaded our culture and those around us who are far from God and need the gospel and need Jesus Christ, but also have to understand uh, that God has sent his son out of love for them and he is calling them to himself. But it means that uh, they that people have to recognize that call to repent and to believe that love is not, I'm going to be me and I'm going to do me and I'm going to uh, 
follow the desires of my heart and I'm going to live out my dreams and God will accept me as I am. But it's recognizing that God loves me where I am. He gave his son for me while I was yet a sinner and he's calling me to himself so that I am uh, finding myself in him, made a new creation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now I am able to begin loving uh, God in return for the love that he has, has first shown me. So that's not based off of a feeling, but it is based off of a commitment where the desire is for his glory and uh, rejoicing in his goodness, not in what the world says so often this day and time is good, but God says is not good. Yes. It's interesting to me. I, I, I watch videos on TikTok just because it's really a good barometer to know where the culture is. You see people creating a lot of different videos and a lot of people get their theology from there. And I was watching this one and this guy posted this video and he basically said, you know, if the people don't miss you when you're gone, then they never really wanted you there to start with. And I, I, it bothered me because that, that view makes you the center of every relationship and you're the center of every universe. And if everyone else doesn't correspond to your view that you're the center of everything, then you don't need them and you move on. And uh, I, I think that this flows from a poor understanding of love and self and just a general worldview. And I, and I actually commented on that and I said, you're not the center of everything, you know, the Lord is. So we mean to make that clear. All right, brothers. Well, thank you. Hope you enjoy us again next week when we take on the topic of uh, dealing with the long battle with COVID. So thank you guys. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.